Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. For the best experience, listen with headphones. But I sometimes think that there are some things that can't be explained in the ordinary way. And I want to warn you, you'll best be prepared to cope with something perhaps supernatural. <laughs> oh, but Inspector Craig... I know what you're going to say. There's no such thing that from the viewpoint of science, all phenomena have a material basis. I've never yet met a case of ghostly interference that wouldn't stand investigation. That's why you're the man for the job. I'm Toby Ball, and this is Strange Arrivals. Episode 11, The Ranch. You've probably noticed that there's a resurgence of interest in UFOs. There are a few reasons for this, including the number of UFO shows on cable television, the sharing of stories and footage on social media, and so on. But the biggest reason, I think, is the U.S. government's acknowledgement that it was, to some degree, investigating the topic. The interest was exposed in 2017 through the national news, most importantly, in the New York Times. When I talk to people about UFOs, they often point to this apparent official interest as validating the probable existence of mysterious craft, possibly not made by humans, in our skies. Our initial goal was to basically talk about the United States government's kind of interest in the UFO topic and really dive into why UFOs became such a popular thing in 2017 after the New York Times article dropped. My name is MJ Benias. I'm a journalist and podcaster. I'm the host of Alien State, which is a podcast from Something Else and Sony Entertainment. I'm also a journalist with The Debrief, as well as a whole host of other news outlets that set the UFO world in motion for the last five years. And what it evolved into was a much deeper dive into the fact that this UFO program that we all heard about via the New York Times was nothing new. What we learned as a result of doing the investigation in the podcast was there was a lot more to this UFO Pentagon program than we initially thought. And it really kind of muddied the waters of what was true and what was not true when that article came out and just kind of the subsequent UFO news that's been released since. The article that spurred this renewed interest ran on the front page of the December 17th, 2017 edition of the New York Times. Its authors were Times Pentagon correspondent Helen Cooper and two other reporters with a deeper interest in UFOs, Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal. We heard from Blumenthal earlier in this season talking about John Mack. In addition to writing a biography of Mack, Blumenthal is retired from a long career as a New York Times reporter. Leslie Kane is a researcher and reporter with a lengthy history in the UFO world. She wrote the 2010 book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. According to the obituary of abduction investigator Bud Hopkins, run by the New York Times on August 24, 2011, she was Hopkins' companion at the time of his death. She also wrote the 2017 book, Surviving Death, 
a journalist investigates evidence for an afterlife. The Times article, which you can find on the internet under the title Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program, describes a Pentagon program that had received about $22 million from 2008 to 2011 to look into reports of UFOs. That money was largely used to pay a contractor, an aerospace research company called Bigelow Aerospace, to oversee the work. Bigelow Aerospace was owned by Robert Bigelow, who we heard about earlier this season when he funded John Mack and Bud Hopkins' alien abduction survey. The story also reported that Bigelow had augmented some storage facilities in Las Vegas to house materials recovered from UFO crash sites. It quoted an engineer named Harold Putoff, who had done research on ESP for the CIA, as saying our understanding of these materials was like, quote, if you gave Leonardo da Vinci a garage door opener. It's a good line, definitely, but none of these materials have been shown to the public. Anyway, time has dampened the initial enthusiasm for the claims in this article. Specifically, there was initial excitement that this was the first step in what was referred to as disclosure, with a capital D, a government acknowledgement that it has evidence that UFOs are real and aliens have visited Earth. This hasn't happened, but at the time, it seemed as though things might be changing drastically. The whole New York Times article, as well as the subsequent releases, kind of are indicative of that. You know, there's a lot more to this story than people realize. And it's been going on for decades and decades now with kind of a similar cast of characters um, who all have been involved in government work at some point or another, but also are fascinated by the UFO topic in some way. When Benias and others began to tug at the strings of this story, they found a connection that suggested that the government effort included more than just an investigation into UFOs as physical craft in the skies. Like John Keel, the modern government-funded investigation was looking at a broader range of phenomena which they theorized were all connected. I don't think it's unusual at all in this world for people to have these ufology theories of everything, right? That they kind of tie all of these phenomena together, whether it's like Bigfoot or ghosts or UFOs or cryptids. I'm Travis Tritton. I'm the Pentagon Bureau Chief and the Deputy Managing Editor for Military.com. There's this tendency to try to find some universal solution. And... The way the UAP phenomenon started, I think, was with a group of people who thought that they had found that universal solution, specifically in Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch is a mainstay of shows about the paranormal. It spawned books, podcasts, movies, and television shows. It's a huge tract of land in Utah that some people claim is a setting for a wide, wide range of paranormal phenomena, including UFOs, but other strange things as well, as we will see. The ranch's supposed paranormal properties first became publicly known when it was owned by Robert Bigelow. The same Robert Bigelow who, according to the New York Times, was creating storage spaces in Las Vegas for UFO crash debris. He doesn't own the ranch anymore, but he originally bought it in order to study the strange events that supposedly occurred there. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like fairly obvious that it's not just simply UFOs the researchers are talking about. You know, it goes far beyond that. The simple data point is Skinwalker Ranch. You know, there's just so much intertwined with Skinwalker Ranch and Robert Bigelow in particular. My name is Mick West, and I'm a UFO investigator. I also investigate a whole bunch of other things like conspiracy theories and strange phenomena. But most recently, I've been into uh, investigating UFOs, which I really enjoy doing. My background is that I'm a video game programmer. I uh, worked on the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series like a long time ago, and I uh, kind of semi-retired and just kind of been pursuing my own interests, including writing and uh, investigating things. If you look at Robert Bigelow's interests, they're not just UFOs. They are life after death, and they are entities, like ghosts, essentially, and the supernatural, you know, essentially magic. The interests of the people associated with those people like Bigelow kind of naturally like include those things. They entertain these broader aspects that so there might be some kind of reality distortion field or some kind of essentially poltergeist type activity. Travis Tritton. I think that project really began with book Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. I had just kind of a personal interest because it involved the military and being somebody who covers the military in the Pentagon, it was it was really just kind of way out there. It was so far out. The answer kind of put together uh, some of the pieces and the answer some of the questions that I had had before about where is all this UAP stuff like coming from? And I thought, this is just too good. We I need to get to the bottom of this. I need to figure out what is the truth here and like what is the fiction. I think that's where it started. The 2021 book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, by James Lukatsky, Calm Kelleher, and George Knapp, begins with the experiences of a senior aerospace engineer in naval intelligence who is given the pseudonym Jonathan Axelrod. Axelrod, we are told, was, quote, well-versed in investigating anomalies, utilizing a thoroughly professional approach. The book opens with him accompanied by two other military men on Skinwalker Ranch. They reportedly are struck with feelings of fear and dread as they are hiking at night. The source turns out to be a dark oval shape, quote, radiating a menacing presence, only visible using a night scope. We'll hear more about the consequences of Axelrod's visit to the ranch later. Suffice it to say, that Skinwalker Ranch was reputed to be the site of a wide range of paranormal phenomena, including UFOs and glowing orbs, crop circles, poltergeists, huge animals impervious to bullets, and so on. It's a fun book, right? It kind of gives you like the creepy tingles. It's like a Stephen King novel or something where you know it's a little bit cheesy, but still you get a little bit creeped out. And that's kind of the feeling I got from that. It was like a really like fun read, but you just have to ask yourself. I mean, people are seeing werewolves in their backyards. There's just a variety of just really crazy stories. Um, there's cryptids, you know, strange creatures. There's the blue orbs that travel through people's bodies and cause health effects. MJ Benias investigated the Skinwalker Ranch in the late 20 teens. The Skinwalker Ranch has held a really long history within the UFO lore, but it's been fairly silent. 
Skinwalker Ranch entered the UFO picture in the 90s, but not a lot of people talked about it. It was kind of whispered about in sort of hushed circles. The ranch became more publicly known with the 2005 publication of the book Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm Kelleher and George Knapp. My journey there occurred after 2017. There was a documentary that was released called Hunt for the Skinwalker, and it was released by a filmmaker named Jeremy Corbell. And it basically explained that the ranch was sold by Robert Bigelow, who was the original owner of the ranch in the 90s. And he sold it to a sort of mysterious player, and nobody knew who he was. And to be frank, the documentary film's kind of discombobulated and weird. But it kept the owner secret, and it didn't really expose what was going on on the ranch. It kind of maintained the mystery of the ranch, and it created the drama of the ranch, but it didn't really get into, like, what Skinwalker Ranch, like, actually was as a thing. At first, I didn't care very much, but I was able to look. There's a picture that was posted online of a private aircraft that was owned by the owner of the ranch with a tail number or two missing. And I was able to use that photograph as well as some other clues that were in the documentary to basically figure out that the owner of Skinwalker Ranch was a Utah real estate mogul named Brandon Fugel. Connecting those dots, I just simply reached out to him and I was a journalist for Vice at the time. And I just simply reached out and said, listen, I know you're the owner of Skinwalker Ranch. I'm writing an article about it. You know, do you wish to comment? This resulted in a series of conversations during which Fugel offered Benias a couple of exclusives and an invitation to visit the ranch. My editor and I took the deal and uh, we decided to run an exclusive feature about the ranch, uh, which was my first trip out there um, in 2018, I think. And then a few months later, we did an exclusive interview with Mr. Fugel, where we sort of exposed his identity and he gave us the exclusive there. So that was my first trip out to the ranch. Let's take a step back. How did the Skinwalker Ranch become so prominently connected with the Pentagon-funded investigation into UFOs? Well, not too surprisingly, it results from a confluence of power, money, and a paranormal experience. Initially, it was set up when a Pentagon official approached Harry Reid, who was then the Senate Majority Leader. The official had been to Skinwalker Ranch and had had what Mick West describes as, quote, essentially a mystical experience. He was in the kitchen of this house there and he saw some what looked like tubular bells materialize in the middle of the kitchen and then he realized that there was this something freaky was going on and so he kind of persuaded Harry Reid to you know set up this program. MJ Benias. You had one individual in the entirety of the DIA which has thousands of employees. The DIA is the Defense Intelligence Agency. You had one individual who was interested in the possible security implications of a phenomena he personally witnessed at Skinwalker Ranch. This individual then went to a senator who he was, he sort of knew, was also interested in the paranormal and the UFO phenomenon, and had that senator broach a sort of contact with Robert Bigelow, who owned the ranch at the time, to kind of work together. And the three of them hatched this plan to create a proposal and a contract with the DIA to study what they called advanced like weapons and weapons application systems. The idea was that they were going to be researching the weapons of the future. Or at least that was the story. 
What they were really doing, though, was using the government money to investigate anomalous phenomena on Skinwalker Ranch, as well as other locations around the United States, chiefly a handful in Brazil, to figure out what UFOs were with the intention of returning to the DIA and saying, listen, you know, we've spent this money and we figured out that UFOs are some sort of advanced technology that we can utilize and weaponize. Again, Mick West. The real aim of the project was to investigate what was going on at Skinwalker Ranch and investigate the ghosts and the UFOs and the, the strange happenings. So somehow the government, the Pentagon, ended up spending money on this high strangeness at Skinwalker Ranch, which to some degree kind of normalized that type of thing. Now, the government might spend money on UFOs. The funding for this program was short-lived. MJ Benias. Unfortunately, that never happened. Quickly, various other parties in the DIA who are responsible for making sure the job you've been contracted to do is getting done realized what was going on with the money and decided after the initial sort of surge of $22 million to cut funding and just say, there's no intelligence value here. Generally, there was a consensus sort of at the top levels of the DIA that this was a silly thing to do. Chasing werewolves, for example, in Utah is not a good use of taxpayer dollars, especially from an intelligence standpoint. When the New York Times picked up the story, the Pentagon, not surprisingly, did not emphasize the Skinwalker Ranch aspect of the program. Mick West. When it came out in the New York Times that something had been happening, they didn't really talk about the ghosts or anything. They just talked about possible foreign craft in our airspace and how it's a national security issue. But really underlying it all is this really weird, deep strangeness that drives the current push. Over the past few years, it's grown in momentum because there's been more and more interest from the press. There's been more lobbying. Some more politicians have been convinced that they should do something about it which I don't really think is based on good evidence. I think it's based on compelling testimony from compelling people. Compelling people whose beliefs about UFOs and the paranormal are not what you might expect. After the break. Strange Arrivals will return in a moment. Coverage of the Pentagon-funded UFO program that came to light in 2017 focused on what you can think of as traditional UFOs, physical craft buzzing around in the sky. Again, MJ Benias. With any subculture, you're going to have divisions in ideology, right? Everyone within the UFO subculture kind of has similar linguistic background, right? We all kind of use the same terms and, and terminology to describe what's going on. But, you know, there's different ideologies that exist within the UFO community. You have some individuals who believe in a sort of very nuts and bolts technological. These are aliens from another planet and they're flying here in in spaceships that are, you know, constructed like we would construct spaceships with fancier, shinier technology than we have. But, you know, they're just more advanced and that's it. This belief was exemplified by a number of declassified Pentagon videos that were made public. Videos that showed fuzzy images from specialized cameras often accompanied by the pilot's audio transmissions. Yeah, this is fucking trailer, bro. 
There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. But there is another school of thought about UFOs. You have other people within the UFO community who believe that this is sort of a, a much more spiritual or mystical concept, that whatever the source of UFOs are, are a manifestation of some larger system, not just space aliens from another planet flying here in a spaceship. So I would say the founders of the DIA program, the ones who kind of brought it to fruition, have some sort of interest in all aspects of the paranormal pantheon of beliefs. Whether they believe in like consciousness being, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's going to be kind of divisions amongst all of them, but they all clearly view the phenomenon not as a nuts and bolts thing, but as a spiritual thing that could be utilized and reverse, maybe not engineered, but reverse spiritualized for some sort of gain, whether it's technological gain, monetary, defense, whatever. As we saw last episode, when we looked at John Keel's beliefs, the idea is that there is a phenomenon that presents itself in different ways. And it has been doing this for centuries. Its manifestations, the result of people's expectations of what the paranormal would look like. The same things that are the sources of ghost sightings or sightings of elves back in the 1500s or, or vampire sightings or werewolf sightings or, or all of those things. It's a merger of spiritual concepts that present themselves in different ways at different times. Benias is about to mention panspermia. We're not going to get into it, but briefly, it's the idea that life is distributed throughout the universe and can be spread by space dust, comets, and so on. It also suggests that life on Earth may have started with microscopic organisms from space. It's definitely fringe. Whatever the phenomenon is in this like panspermia, like <laughs> UFO concept, kind of like the unified theory of everything paranormal, uh, UFOs are just a manifestation of whatever the phenomena is. And it's just today manifesting itself as UFOs because we are more technological as a species compared to, let's say, 400 years ago when people would see ghosts and monsters roaming around in fields and imps and whatnot. And it's not just 400 years ago. Earlier in this episode, we heard about the naval intelligence officer given the pseudonym John Axelrod. He had encountered a mysterious presence at Skinwalker Ranch. But if you believe his account, physically leaving the ranch didn't end his interaction with strange forces. About Axelrod, Benias says, We know, for example, who that individual was. I'm not sure how public his name is, so I won't say it on this podcast, but he was employed by the Office of Naval Intelligence. He's well-established and well-respected within the intelligence community and within sort of the U.S. government as a, a high-ranking civilian intelligence official. But there's also that aspect of belief, and I think that that's what really plays a role in all this. I've been to Skinwalker Ranch twice and not had an experience at all. Nothing's followed me home. People, for example, told me stories about hitchhiker effect and, and all these things where if you try to upset the whatever is on Skinwalker Ranch, it will purposefully try to like come after you. The hitchhiker effect. This is the idea that even once you've left the ranch, there's a possibility that the phenomenon will attach itself to you 
that it will follow you and make its presence known. According to the book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, the family of the pseudonymous Jonathan Axelrod experienced this effect at their home in suburban Virginia. His wife reportedly saw a dark figure in their bedroom and heard footsteps in the house. One of his teenage sons saw glowing orbs in his bedroom that he felt were under intelligent control. More bizarrely, his wife looked out the window to see a, quote, huge wolf-like creature, unquote, standing upright and leaning against a tree. Days later, the two sons saw the same creature, again, standing on two legs and then dashing into the forest. We were doing all that stuff walking around the ranch in the middle of the night, you know, insulting it, being mean, calling it names, like trying to get some sort of reaction um, and, and nothing occurred. But I also don't believe that Skinwalker Ranch is home to anything but a couple cows, actually a lot of cows, there's a lot of cows on the ranch, to cows and sort of a caretaker couple, as well as just the people who work there. You know, I think it's just a plain old ranch in Utah. So here's the thing. When you take a look across the field of paranormal phenomena, There is such a wide range of beliefs and experiences that it is really hard to see how they connect to each other. Just narrow it down to the UFO stories that we've looked at over three seasons of Strange Arrivals, and you see that it is hard to reconcile them with each other. The idea of hundreds of thousands of alien abductions doesn't seem to square with a sighting on a schoolyard in Zimbabwe which seems different than Betty and Barney Hill's encounter with a crew of fairly friendly aliens, and then Lonnie Zamora's flying egg, and the Roswell crash, and so on and so on. The idea that all of these things are just different parts or different views of the same single thing is a way to reconcile all of these different conceptions. Then you add in other paranormal phenomena like poltergeists, cryptids, ESP, near-death experiences, and myriad others. In fact, it sounds a lot like John Keel's conception of the superspectrum and ultra-terrestrials. It can encompass all paranormal activity because it is just one big thing that takes the form of the observer's unconscious choosing. You have, again, this nice packaged unified system uh, which is, I think, from it's kind of lazy, but from a kind of a ufological perspective, I think it's for people who believe it's really nice and tidy because you can then allow for all of the anecdotes to exist cohesively together and say, hey, man, everything goes because it's just a system that's occurring all around us that we're part of. And whether you saw a UFO or Bigfoot, it's all the same. You know, again, unfortunately, it's not falsifiable in any way. It boils down again to faith and belief. This is the way we talk about religion and spirituality, not observable phenomena that we want to study scientifically. Yet, that's the area of investigation that was funded by the Pentagon, and that's how the people receiving the money conceptualized what was happening. So for sure, I think it's become a big part of how this particular group of individuals views the UFO topic and just in general, kind of paranormality as an idea overall, that it is some kind of universal system that crosses a whole bunch of different ideas of what paranormal is or isn't. And it kind of governs us in some way, or it exists next to us in some way. And yeah, it it just kind of messes with us. I know it's a mind right? While viewing UFO encounters, as well as other paranormal activity, 
through a spiritual lens isn't very useful for scientific studies. It works better when looking at why people believe in UFOs. And if belief in the reality of UFOs is like a religion, who are the priests? Next time on Strange Arrivals. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. This episode was written and hosted by Toby Ball and produced by Rima El Kayali, Jesse Funk, and Noemi Griffin, with executive producers Alexander Williams, Matt Frederick, and Aaron Mankey, and supervising producer Josh Thane. Learn more about the show at grimandmild.com slash strangearrivals, and find more podcasts from iHeartRadio by visiting the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.